0: Good morning. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? My name is Bob Jordan. I've been a member of All Souls since 1989. The earth is a garden, and the earth is an ark like Noah's ark. These are two common metaphors for the earth. The ark's garden covers the deck, while the ark sails through an infinitely vast, virtually lifeless universe. No lifeboats are aboard this ark to escape to a safe haven in the event she wrecks. But we look about and realize that our once verdant deck garden is beginning to wither under the sun. We mariners of the ark are not caring sufficiently for our garden. And consequently, we are putting ourselves, as well as other plants and animals, aboard the ark in peril. Our half-hearted efforts to preserve our garden, the only source for our food and shelter, may soon turn out to be too little, too late. We mariners are acting out a delusional dream, narrowly preoccupied with our personal concerns, with little, if any, uh, awareness of our place in the universe or the effect of our presence on our surroundings. But you, you mariners, share a fundamental principle that can guide us in renewing the garden. We understand that all life on our ark is interconnected. The ark, the garden, and the mariners are like filaments of a spider's web. If we touch one filament, then all the others vibrate all aspects of living ecosystems on the Earth's surface, the substrate and minerals that anchor and feed life, the water that sustains life, the sunlight that energizes growth, animals and plants trading breaths, and the DNA that replicates life. All of these are inextricably connected. As Carol Gray Wing said in her sermon several weeks ago, the earth as a whole can be understood as a unified living being known as Gaia, the mother of all life. Pogo said, I have met the enemy and the enemy is me. I will start by taking responsibility for my attitude towards my immediate surroundings. I can nurture my own ark garden and thereby improve my own life and possibly, in small ways, help improve the lives of others around me. I call the home and yard where I live my yard ark. I can make my yard ark a healthy microcosm of the whole earth. Later in this talk, I will revisit the idea of the yard ark. The world's religions have much to say about our place in nature. A modern translation of Genesis 1.18 reads, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This creation story is often interpreted as God granting humans license to use the earth for our own selfish ends. But beyond Genesis, what else does the Old Testament teach about our relationship with God's creation? Psalm 24.1 states, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In Psalm 50, 9 to 12, God warns us, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry... I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And Leviticus 25, 23 admonishes, The land must not be sold permanently, because the land is mine, and you are but aliens and my tenants. In the language of the Bible, the earth is the Lord's, not ours. The Lord's gifts to us are on loan. We don't own anything. Eastern religions are more specific about the interconnectedness of all of nature, and humans are just one element of it. Nature is sacred and should be regarded with reverence. A basic principle of Buddhism and Hinduism is ahimsa, a Sanskrit word which translates as nonviolence or do no harm. This principle applies to all sensory beings and to the earth itself. The spiritual leader of Tibetan Buddhism, the Dalai Lama, wrote, It is our collective and individual responsibility to protect and nurture the global family, to support its weaker members, and to preserve and tend to the environment in which we live. From Taoism, Tao Te Ching, man follows the earth, earth follows the universe, the universe follows the Tao, the Tao follows only itself. Also from the Tao Te Ching, the world is sacred. It can't be improved. If you tamper with it, you'll ruin it. If you treat it like an object, you'll lose it. Hinduism's ancient Atharva Veda contains the following prayer to the earth. I evoke the earth which gives shelter to all seekers of truth, to those who are tolerant and have understanding, to all things strength-giving and nourishing, the source of the creative spirit. We depend on you, O earth. And the Navajos sing... Mother Earth, her life am I. Mother Earth, her body is my body. Native American spirituality demonstrates reverence for the Earth. A quote from spiritualpast.net states, Insightfully, something about our modern ecological dilemma The root cause of our environmental crisis is ego-driven self-interest. Our environmental crisis masks a spiritual crisis, which has its source in the human mind, its genesis in greed and egotism. In our search for happiness and completion, we have moved increasingly outside ourselves, attempting to find fulfillment, and vast quantities of things and activities which leave us bored, jaded, and restless. We Americans look at our present energy crisis, and many of us mindlessly repeat the mantra, drill, 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 as the solution to our energy crisis. Two years after Al Gore's inconvenient truth, we have already lost sight of the necessity of reversing the dumping of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. In 2006, I attended the first showing of An Inconvenient Truth in a movie theater in the Shreveport-Bosier area. The documentary had received a lot of attention in the media, but the attendance at the movie theater that first screened the film in this area consisted of me and five other misfits. Drawing on solid scientific evidence, Al Gore warned that the entire world has 10 years to convert to non-carbon-based energy production if we are to prevent irreversible climatic temperature increases that eventually will make the Earth uninhabitable. If his estimate is correct, then the deadline is 2016, for a massive shift in world economies based on non-carbon-based energy production for vehicles and power plants. Even human-initiated forest fires and the burning of individual wood fires must decrease substantially. Meanwhile, the Chinese reportedly are building three new coal-fired power plants per week. And in our American homeland, we propose to build many new so-called clean coal power plants to satisfy our ever-increasing demands for energy. In 1970, I helped to organize the first Earth Day celebration at the University of Tennessee. This event was greeted with great enthusiasm and widespread participation by students and community members in Knoxville. We anticipated a bright future for solar and wind energy. But since then, little has been done to develop and promote these energy resources and politicians and corporations still show little enthusiasm for supporting non-carbon-based technologies. They give lip service to these alternative resources, but the primary emphasis remains, drill, drill, drill. Corporate America seems determined to unearth and extract the last drop of oil, lump of coal, or puff of natural gas that the earth can wearily and grudgingly yield we see slick ads on TV about abundant clean coal, but it is clear that there is no such thing as clean coal. The vast amounts of CO2 from burning coal-burning power plants can only be buried in the ground at exorbitant cost. CO2 burial, otherwise known as sequestration, is not really a practical or cost-effective method for ridding the atmosphere of CO2. Trees and other plants are much more efficient and inexpensive for converting CO2 to non-toxic solid matter. But throughout the world, our trees are rapidly disappearing. We all know about small-scale solutions to global warming. Conservation is the least expensive and most effective first step. But you don't hear the politicians saying much about conservation. So it's up to us... How can we conserve? We can insulate our homes and public buildings to prevent heat loss in winter and cooling loss in summer. Use energy-efficient lights and appliances. Drive gas-efficient vehicles like the hybrid and plug-in electrical vehicles. Transport people by bus and rapid transit trains. And transport goods by rail as much as possible. Ride a bicycle to nearby destinations. Eat locally grown vegetables and fruit in set in season. We can save money and conserve the environment by consuming products made in America or more preferably products made near Shreveport-Bossier that reduce the high cost of energy required to transport materials and manufactured goods from more distant parts of the planet. I recently viewed Bill Moyers' interview with a retired Army colonel and Vietnam veteran, Andrew J. Bosovich. Bosovich considers himself a conservative. He begins his new book, The Limits of Power, The End of American Exceptionalism, with an epigraph taken from the Bible, Put Thine House in Order. In his book, he concludes that ever since President Jimmy Carter advised us that we must become more independent of foreign oil, and we rejected his admonition and his second bid for the presidency. The imperative of our corporations and politicians has been to increase our dependence on foreign oil. As Boone Pickens reminds us, we now depend on foreign sources for over 70% of our oil. This dependence on foreign oil drives our foreign policy, motivates our wars, and corrupts our politicians. It has resulted in an erosion of our civil liberties, and it concentrates vast powers in the office of the president. Conservatives and liberals can agree that this circumstance has become intolerable and can find common cause in changing it. But what can you and I do? The challenge seems nearly insurmountable to bring about such monumental changes in human attitudes and the reformed economic infrastructure that would emerge from such changed attitudes. Faced with such overwhelming challenges, should we give up? You know what Pogo said, I have met the enemy and he is me. Effective action falls back on what each of us can do individually and by working cooperatively with others. Therefore, I have started by creating my modest yard arc. And it consists of my own backyard and my home. My home was, my aim was to make my home and yard as earth-friendly as possible. The little piece of earth that I occupy in Shreveport measures about a quarter of an acre. My backyard, which measures about an eighth of an acre, contains my flower and vegetable gardens and fruit trees. I decided to produce my own vegetables and fruit because I enjoy their taste and because growing my own food is economical and requires minimal energy. Fruits and vegetables grown in California or Mexico and even more distant places require great quantities of carbon-based energy to ship and market. Since the soil of my backyard consists mainly of vegetable-unfriendly red clay, I decided to raise my veggies in raised beds, as you see in the first and second slide. The initial cost of this type of raised bed is a bit expen- a bit expensive but will last for many years. The soil in the raised beds is a mixture of free compost from my compost pile, free cotton gin dirt, free cow and horse manure, and I have to admit some commercially available bag soils. And I hope none of you are turned off by the idea that you're eating veggies grown in manure <laughs> if you come to my house. Um, I also add in some used uh, tea leaves, coffee grounds, and eggshells. This past growing season, the products of my five raised bed gardens included mustard and turnip greens, broccoli, cabbages, green peppers, banana peppers, tomatoes, okra, cucumbers, cantaloupe, figs, blueberries, pears, and satsuma oranges. During the previous fall, I planted several trees for future harvests, an apple tree, a second pear, a tangerine, two plums, a persimmon, and two potted miniature lemon trees. This modest garden supplied most of our fresh vegetables and fruit throughout the spring and summer up to now. Bonnie, my significant other, and I canned pear and fig preserves, which we are now enjoying and will continue to enjoy through the winter. We bagged and froze tomatoes and mixed vegetables, which we are using for soup and spaghetti sauce. I shared vegetables from my garden with my next-door neighbor, an 83-year-old widow, who spontaneously shared some of her baked goods with me. I first experimented with solar power. By the way, that's the fig, fig plant that belongs to my neighbor, but most of much of it hangs over my fence, and I can harvest whatever hangs over my fence. I first experimented with solar power with these three little 15-watt solar panels. They can produce a total of 45 watts when they receive full direct sunlight. They keep a trickle battery fully charged. Power from the battery can power these two DC lights... And when converted from DC to AC current by a power inverter, which you can see it's a little black box there, can power small appliances. The first step prior to installing large solar panels uh, to supply power to your home is to make sure that your home is well insulated. With that in mind, I had my single-pane aluminum frame windows replaced with double-pane argon vinyl frame windows and had six additional inches of insulation blown into my attic. I found a trustworthy solar contractor to install my solar panels. Matt Roberts of One Planet Solar. The state of Louisiana gives an outright payment for half of the total cost of the panels, including installation, up to $12,500. In addition, the federal government gives a tax credit of another $2,000. These subsidies made my solar panels panels affordable. That's about the size of the uh, solar panels that went on my roof. And there they are on the roof. SWEPCO net meters the electricity that my panels produce, which means that I receive a retail value credit for the electricity I produce with my panels that is fed back into the SWEPCO electrical grid. And there you can see, um, first of all, the, the on the very right, there is a pipe coming down from the solar panels that goes through a breaker uh, um, it goes through a, a, a switch box that can turn off the, the panels. Then it goes down to, um, it goes down to the inverter, which is that white and blue box, and then that converts uh, AC current to DC current. I mean DC current to AC current. Then there's another switch box that can turn off that, and that goes to the breaker box that powers all the appliances in my house. And then that, in turn, goes to the meter. Um, so, anyway, um, that's, that's p- part of that whole array of panels and, and, and the, the uh, 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 gear that goes with it. Um, the electricity produced by the panels is fed through a power inverter. I, I already told you about that. If the, there is a net positive amount of electricity produced by the panels after the electric electricity usage in the house, then the excess electricity is fed through the net meter back into the grid. My panels started generating electricity and feeding it back into the grid on June 2nd of this year. And I might mention that Pam Holt is here, and she was she and her husband were the first ones as they were building their new house to to um, construct. Uh, Include in the construction uh, solar panels. Um, for, yeah, let's give her a hand. In the in the whole area of uh, Shreveport and Bossier, a pion, another pioneer. Okay, this we can all take uh, small scale measures to conserve energy. By now, we all know that compact fluorescent lights drastically reduce energy used for lighting. We can improve the insulation in our houses as fairly inexpensively and install programmable thermostats. Recently, I had a computerized, energy-efficient water heater installed, and my old air conditioner conditioner will soon be replaced by an energy-efficient one. And I looked into... um, It's called geothermal uh, uh, cooling and heating for my house, but it turned out that that's not... The the infrastructure in this town is not uh, very well suited to to support that. And um, so I I went to the next best alternative, which was to get a good air air conditioner. And I I heat my house with um, gas. My car is a hybrid Prius, which averages between 40 and 45 miles per gallon in town. Um, It averages about 50 miles per gallon on the open road, provided I don't drive above 60 miles per hour. Starting in 2010, Chevy will sell an all-electric car, the Volt, and in my opinion, plug-in electrical electrical vehicles are the best hope for the future because they can be powered by non-carbon-based power plants that depend instead on renewable solar, wind, geothermal, and tidal energy. Nuclear power is potentially a viable alternative if we use low-risk methods for transporting nuclear waste and find politically acceptable locations for storing it. And so far, that challenge has not been met. Hopefully, it will be. Admittedly, making the transition to non-carbon-based energy production will take time, but we have to devote our hearts, minds, muscles, and treasure to starting that transition now. We have no time to lose. I'm becoming increasingly aware of the atmosphere-polluting carbon dioxide I personally create every day. Reforming my own self and environmentally destructive habits starts with a clear awareness of what I am actually doing. Now that I am aware, I can make choices that enhance my miniature art garden. By cooperating with others who are similarly motivated, we can work towards restoring our earth, art garden, to good health. So join the Green Covenant group here at All Souls. It meets this Tuesday evening. Go hiking and camping and enjoy the earth's natural beauty. Contribute to the Nature Conservancy, the Sierra Club, or the Environmental Defense Fund. Vote for environmentally friendly political candidates buy locally produced foods and goods, and create an earth-friendly home and yard, your own yard ark. The members and friends of all souls can be a major source of positive environmental change in this community. Sometimes when I slow down enough to stop focusing on petty distractions and really open my senses to the present, The beauty and wonder of nature surrounding me is overwhelming. Will it continue to be there for our children, and their children, and their children? Will our legacy to them be a wasteland, or will we act to renew and preserve our sacred, fragile art garden? Thank you.